welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Ovnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. Okay, and we are recording Contrarian's Corner for the secret life of Walter Mitty. Is it Contrarian's Corner, though? Well, I mean, yeah. It's still... We've never like called it anything else. I guess that's true. Gray Corner. Gray talk. <laughs> gray, gray talk. Gray matter. Hello, and welcome back to the Contrarian's, where, per usual, we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined, as always, by my friend from Peru, Julio. Uh, we have reached... Yet another milestone here on the Contrarians, episode number eighty. Eight O. So I know the iTunes has the count of actually we've done over a hundred episodes, but this is We know we've made it we made it past a hundred episodes because our earlier episodes have started disappearing from the iTunes feed. <laughs> yes, there you go. But I mean you can still catch them on the website. Canonically speaking, we're uh reaching number 80 here. Yeah. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the contrarians, as I kind of just made allusion to our typical, uh, our MO is that we find a movie that's rotten or fresh and make a case against that. So for a movie that's highly praised, make a case for why it shouldn't be vice versa. Uh, for these gray air episodes, we find something smack dab in the middle and Julio will take one side of the argument and I shall take the other for this particular episode of Walter Mitty. What was our last, what was number 70? The mummy, the mummy where not the Tom Cruise one, which is full on rotten, but the, the original Brandon Fraser vehicle. Mm-hmm. It was also like in the fifties, 50 something, which I praised in Julio tag. So for this one, he'll take the, uh, defensive i'll take the offensive here on walter mitty because this movie is at i believe it's either 51 or 50 percent on the nose it's 51 i I was looking at the quotes and i saw the the thing also we should i mean it is the ben stiller walter mitty Mm -hmm. the the original the danny k yeah (laughs) yeah the the danny k 1947 walter mitty that's that's fresh at 87 percent, and we might get to it eventually someday but this one is one that we've been talking about for this is before Years. the podcast began. Yeah. yeah, so to kind of give the the intro into that, this movie is one that Julio and I, when we worked together six years ago, and we're kind of uh, conceptualizing this podcast and the ideas we had, this was one of the movies we pointed to as saying, see, this is why it's a flawed system, because this is at 51% or 50, whatever it was at the time. I remember it's always been kind of smacked yeah. in the middle, but our point was by their metric, it's rotten, but it's really a good movie. So this has been a long time in the making, and it's one of those things we got uh, too far ahead of ourselves some time back. We're like, when are we going to do Walter Mitty? And then we kept having to push it back because the other uh, increments of 10 would fall in line with something that we were working right. on at the time. Like the uh, 60 was the summer of Travolta, so we did Phenomenon. Uh and then we did that poll for uh for the seventy, then the the mummy one, you know. Damn it, it shame. Was, it was the the Halloween themed poll. It was a neck and neck race until like, you know the end <laughs> when 
the red pulled away with it. So, enough introduction. Secret Life of Walter Mitty, released in 2013 on Christmas Day, no less. It was a Christmas Day release. And standing at 51%, uh, again, basically it just means that every other person said, yeah, go see it. And every other person said, no, don't, <laughs> avoid. Um, we have a, a bunch of quotes here. Uh, what we do, or what we try to do on the Gray Area episodes is we alternate positive and negative instead of the way we do it in our regular episodes where I'll read positive on one half and then negative on uh, real talk, the second half, which is where you find out how we really feel. Um, but anyway, let's let's get through some quotes. Uh, Rich Fippen from Sky Cinema says, With Walter Mitty, Ben Stiller has crafted one of the most touching, visually stimulating, life-affirming, big-budget movies of the year, and by far the best of his directing career. And few could have imagined that. That was fresh. On the rotten side... More that's, that's a heavy one to lead with because you're already <laughs> implying this is better than Tropic Thunder. <laughs> well, I mean, Rich Pippin, he, he he's doubling fitting. down. <laughs> uh, Moira McDonald from Seattle Times says, there isn't much reason for this Walter Mitty to exist. Jesus. Polar Blunt opposite. and brutal. <laughs> uh, Matt Pace from Red Eye says, almost like a booth offering free hugs, especially around the holidays. A warm embrace is hard to resist. Back to the rotten Bilch Ebery from New York magazine Vulture. Exquisitely produced, immaculately acted, and thoroughly uninvolving. The Secret Life of Walter Mitty is a perfect nothing of a movie. That's like the Adam Scott character in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Joe Williams from St. Louis Post-Dispatch. In our daydreams, an ambitious, world-embracing movie like The Secret Life of Walter Mitty deserves to be a bigger hit than yet another Night at the Museum or Madagascar sequel. But your, <laughs> but your millage may vary. Christmas time. But their what? I'm sorry. But your millage, your mileage may vary. Uh, I forget that Ben Stiller is in Madagascar. He's a lion, right? Oh, that's why he mentioned those. I was wondering if those like came out at that point in time. Yeah, Night of the Museum. That uh, uh, Freddie Mercury vehicle. Remy Malik is in one of them. At least. Oh, is he? <laughs> yeah. I know Amy Adams is in one, and uh, isn't Robin Williams? I think he's in all three of them. Uh, and finally, our last uh, Rotten 4, uh, this part of the podcast, Josh Larson from Larson and Film says, A puppy dog movie. It nips at your heels, yips in your ears, and never lets up in its desire to please. Well, what is wrong with that, Josh Larson? Yeah, what a fucking dog hater. <laughs> uh, the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, uh, obviously centered around our titular character, who is Ben Stiller, directed by, and so right away... The narcissism, a film by Ben Stiller, directed a film by, by Ben a, Stiller, a Ben Stiller joint. But right away, just paint the story of this kind of sad sack. He works for a magazine called Life Magazine, which I can't tell by the context of the movie, but I, I guess it's like a it specializes in photography. I'm not entirely sure. It specializes in life. <laughs> Hence uh, the title, the, the quintessence of life. Uh, he is signing up or he's on eHarmony. He's just, it's a picture of a loser right away. Alex, what do you call a sad sack? I call every man. <laughs> that he's just stalking Kristen Wiig on his computer. I mean, harmlessly. He the chutzpah to talk to her in real life. I think that uh, more people than they care to admit will just, in quotations, stalk people that they're interested in uh, online. I mean, it's not just the harmony. You you meet somebody that you find attractive, you kind of look them up on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, 
what have He's you. He's like a that 40 does... year old man. Okay. <laughs> it is new technology. I mean, they, everybody gets a learning curve and some people had to deal with Instagram and Facebook and eHarmony in their thirties, in their forties. Uh, not everybody can be the cool teenager that knows how to do everything right away. I, I think that this is actually probably Ben Stiller's most relatable role. Um, and I wouldn't think every man when I think Ben Stiller and the fact that he, not only that he pulls it off, but he was confident enough to cast himself in, in this role that I think that says a lot. I, I, if it's who, you yeah, know, no one else could do the job. So he had to cast himself. Well, he knows that it's important. You get this part wrong. You get the wrong Walter Mitty and the movie doesn't work. So, I, I mean, you can, you can attribute it to ego, but it's also just confidence in well-earned confidence. So he's signing up for his eHarmony account. Uh, yeah, again, Kristen Wiig. Her name is Cheryl. She is the flame, the muse, the love interest of this movie. Uh, the counterpart to our Walter. And Walter Mitty is he has an issue with his eHarmony account. So he calls customer support. And the customer support agent, who I guess is supposed to be like the fucking conscience of Walter, who checks in with him periodically throughout the film, is Todd. Uh, voiced by Patton Oswalt. Another every uh, Remy himself. Yes. Ratatouille. And it's a quick conversation they have because we set the tone for this in that Walter has these ridiculous daydreams where he goes off doing, you know, adventures, saving the world, that type of thing. Really, to me, it just seemed like a way for Ben Stiller to pillage the film studio, just saying, hey, I got to shoot this really expensive act- action sequence. For, if nothing else, just to soothe his own ego. Um, neither of us has seen the original Walter Mitty, but I'm going to take a guess that it was just not possible for them to... Assuming that this is a similar plotted story, right? Uh, it's also about a man that daydreams... Uh, and every man that daydreams of being more. I, I don't think that the 47 version has sequences that are as spectacular as what Ben Stiller achieves here. And... That's the whole point of redoing it in the year 2013. Don't be quaint. I mean, you have to make it a movie of, of this time. You have to differentiate it from the, the old 47 version. So, of course, you're going to go big. You're going to go spectacular. Oh, it's definitely a movie of its time. 2013 <laughs> with the arcade fire playing throughout the film. Remember them? Uh, we meet Walter. How could you forget? <laughs> we meet Walter's sister, Odessa, played by the incomparable Catherine Hahn, who is walking around like she escaped from the loony bin. She's in this like very swank office building and they're in New York City, right? It has to be. Yeah. Big buildings, uh douchey bosses, yeah. corporate people. Yeah, and she just walks in like dressed like she just, you know, came she got she changed in the morning blind and didn't know what she was wearing. Um but she is an off Broadway actress who's going to play Rizzo in some random version of Grease, which to Love me, it. the much better movie is watching Catherine Hahn audition and work in an off-Broadway production of Grease's Rizzo, but hey. I applaud the restraint in this production that they never went there because that was a, a, a post-end credit sequence on its own, and yet Stiller knew that that would have just deflated the points that he makes in this movie. It's not Catherine Hahn's movie. It's, it's Walter Mitty's, so... There's no room for that sort of digression. That's like some Judd Apatow bullshit, you know, where you'll just spend 15 minutes of Catherine Hahn rehears- rehearsing a 
whatever Riz's that, song is. That uh, is. <laughs> Uh, but what I really like about the the Catherine Hahn character because it's a small part she has like maybe three scenes in the movie mm-hmm. uh, but she is playing the kind of quirky comic relief character that Kristen Wiig would normally play it's almost as if it's it's meant to underscore the fact that Kristen Wiig got promoted to just full on leading lady in this movie I, I don't remember having seen her playing a character that was just that felt like a normal person before I saw this movie mm-hmm. uh, and here she's just it's not Chris. She's funny, but she's not trying to be funny. She's just a nor- just like Ben Stiller. She's just playing a normal woman, mm-hmm. and uh, that was refreshing. Again, that's Ben Stiller on point with the casting. Yeah, in that you have one of the funniest women in the world, and you're basically having her not do comedy. She's still, she still manages to be funny. It's just you can tell that she's not trying. So, Life Magazine, where both uh, Kristen Wiig and Ben Stiller work at, has been acquired. And they're in the process of getting cleared out. Uh, the, I guess, yeah, he would definitely be the villain of the film. Adam Scott plays Ted Hendricks, which that is just a douchey name. How could you not tell he was the villain with that facial hair? That strapped-on beard he had, the Velcro beard. God, I love it. He's coming in. He's ready to clean house. He wants to, you know, they're getting ready for their final issue. They're very insincere in their sincerity of how sad they are that they're having to do this. Um Sean O'Connell, who, by the context clues of this movie, either has just brainwashed life into thinking he's the best photographer in the world, or he actually is the best photographer in the world, sends a a batch, a package to Walter, and he says that negative uh, 25, excuse me, is his greatest shot ever. And that's what we were joking about earlier, the quintessence of life. And wouldn't you know it, Walter can't find it. It's missing. Great. We're setting up a mystery here. We are setting up a mystery. They do tease us that Sean O'Connell uh, is Sean Penn, but only in photographic form. We don't know if he's actually going to bless us with his appearance, his actual uh, presence, as it were. There's a lot of build up here, uh, you know, because Patton Oswalt, you only hear him uh, through most of the movie. Uh, you don't get to see him until the very end. Same thing with Sean Penn. You see him in photographs and you see his work and there's a lot of talk about him, but then when you finally see him in the movie, the payoff is magnificent. It is. He does have a Hawaiian shirt on. I will give him props for that. Um, Patton Oswalt, not Sean Penn. It, it, either way. <laughs> I would give it more props if Sean Penn had a Hawaiian shirt on. So Sean sent these pictures. He also sent a gift to Walter. It was a wallet that had an inscribed message in it. Uh, it was the Life magazine motto that he had inscribed on it. So Walter's on the case as to where this missing negative could be. He's using the negative surrounding it. So, you know, the 24, 26, that type of thing, 27 to try to figure out if these are clues as to where that piece of film could be. And what is it? It's water, a thumb, and then a piece of architecture. They can't figure out what it is. Yeah, is the oh yeah the the what ends up being the name of the ship that's in the water picture, right? After they they blow mm-hmm. it up. Okay, yeah. Then there's just those three. Yeah. So, continuing on with meeting the cast of the film, we're introduced to Walter's mom. Does she actually have a name outside of mom? Edna. Okay. Uh, Her name is Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine, yeah. I mean, you can name her whatever you want. She has a character name in Bernie, and I don't remember it. It's just Shirley MacLaine. (laughs) He's helping her do what? And why? Uh, she's, she's moving. Into like a retirement home. And right. And they're trying to fit the piano. Yeah. There's a piano that her dad built. 
or his dad built, I'm sorry, um, Shirley McLean's husband, that he's trying to get moved in and they're having difficulties doing it. Just completely meandering and pointless side plot. You're getting lost in the wrong details. What really comes through in this scene is just how uh, unremarkable Walter's life is, which is the whole point is of, 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 the first, uh, of the first act, right? Uh, he... He works with a girl that that he loves, or that at least that he has a, a huge crush on. But rather than talk to her, he'd rather hide behind a computer screen and have to try to just wink at her through eHarmony. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he organizes, uh, you know, his work is in the uh, the photo lab uh, in life. He's a negative master or whatever, and so he's surrounded. He's, a, he's negative assets manager. Exactly. I've never heard something more made up in my life. <laughs> well, now that Life Magazine is gone, then yeah, sure. Now that magazines in general are gone. Uh, yeah, hashtag MAGA zine. <laughs> Thanks, Trump. Boo. Uh, so he's he's surrounded at work. He's surrounded by all these awesome photographs of all over the world, exciting stuff happening. And yet, you know, he's never left home. He's... Uh, he has uh well they're moving you know and they're going over uh, his uh, his mom's i guess you know stuff they find uh, an old travel book that his dad gave him and it's blank cuz mm-hmm. it's never gone anywhere uh when he's talking to Pat Oswalt uh, you know, he's trying to get him to jazz up his profile on eHarmony he's like what have you done and he's done nothing nothing so that that kind of stuff I mean, we don't like to admit it, but that's most of us, right? I mean, if I had to fill out an eHarmony profile, thank God for the contrarians, because otherwise I wouldn't have anything to put there as far as like, what have you done that's exciting and interesting? Um, During all that, it was also around, I believe it was supposed to be like Walter's birthday or something was going on. Uh, The cake? Yeah, well, I, think, cake, I think it's his birthday. We learned that there's Clementine cake, which is his, his sweet tooth, uh, his favorite. But also as if Odessa, his sister, couldn't be any more of a hipster, <laughs> she gives him a Stretch Armstrong for yes. his birthday. The return of Stretch Armstrong to uh, notoriety, at least for this movie. Because that lends itself to our next scene, which is the next big daydream sequence where we get uh, Thor and Captain America in the form of Adam Scott and Ben Stiller. They get into a big brawl that destroys downtown wherever the hell they are. Um, this is. I'm glad that you referenced Thor and Captain America because this is. This felt like uh, uh, Ben Stiller's audition reel for the MCU. I think that he could have just directed. Who would he have played? No, 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 no. As a director, I don't know. As, as an actor, I mean, he could have been Ant Man. He could have. He could have. You could have swapped him with uh, Paul Rudd. This is true. I could see that. But but I was talking directing wise. This is a hell of an action sequence. Uh, destroying the city and oh he'd be behind the camera yeah yeah yeah. that's what i was saying like you know his director reel okay gotcha gotcha his acting reel would be a little different it would be just you know scenes from everywhere from uh reality bites to him in the bathroom saying i'm ben stiller how could you not know (laughs) my range by now it's your standard mcu type action they're like feet are pulling up the pavement and Diving punches and a lot of the fighting is based around the stretch Armstrong because they're both trying to hold on to it. So it's a thing. It's awesome. Well, it just it much like these daydreams, they're getting exponentially longer and longer throughout it. So it's just bring it back. All the characters that tell Walter come bring back to reality. That's what I'm saying as a viewer. But that's that's the trick of the movie that it starts with that and then it transitions into those those daydreams becoming shorter and shorter and his adventures in real life becoming realer and and longer. So 
You have to start there so you can get the payoff later. They already showed me a gun in the first act. I saw the picture of Sean Penn, so I want Sean Penn. <laughs> I'm getting more and more impatient as the seconds go by. Uh, you're one of those people that just uh, – you fast forward through movies, don't you? Uh, mentally, yes. <laughs> or I just check out a la Walter. Uh, Walter meets up with Cheryl, finds out um, – doesn't meet up with but they're getting to know each other a bit more she's helping him out she's kind of doing what she can to find out more about these pictures if anything find out potentially where sean o'connell could be because he his character is this nomadic you know weary traveler that is hard to nail down doesn't have a, a cell phone that type of thing his sean penn exactly he didn't know he was being filmed finds out that cheryl has a son goes up to meet her son um he's what would you say? 11, 12? I mean, I guess he's... It's a weird age, and I like that it's not pinpointed because he's into skateboarding, mm -hmm. which is not... I don't know. That, he seemed very young, too young to be into skateboarding. I, I usually, when I think of skateboarders, I think of full-on teenagers mm. doing drugs and skateboarding. <laughs> <laughs> this kid, I mean, he can't drink, so... What are you, Hillary Clinton? <laughs> <laughs> That's like a fucking PSA from the 90s. If you skateboard, you do do drugs. Some undesirables, skateboarding and uh, voting for Trump. Uh, I don't know if there's any conservative skaters. That'd be a really odd demographic. I mean, now that I say that, I'm sure there are, but that'd be a weird bleed over. Whatever the case, they had Rodney Mullen sit in for Ben Stiller here. So in the background, you see an out of focus Walter Mitty doing all kinds of crazy tricks and whatnot. This was something I popped for because I'm a big Rodney Mullen fan. Um, he zones out again while she's trying to tell him something. But with the main takeaway from the scene, all we needed was 30 seconds, but we got like fucking six minutes. Greenland. Greenland is where Walter needs to go because that's where one of the pictures is from. Because as you said, there's a boat in one of the pictures that they were able to read the reflection, like the name of the boat. Yeah, that's part of their, their detective work. Mm -hmm. They enhance one of the pictures. They zoom in and then they, they figure out. That I guess no 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 but that's not how they figure out that they have to go to Greenland. I think that on the side, Cheryl Kristen Wiig was also following up where uh, Sean Penn's checks get sent to. Oh, and that's there were, right. There were two different options, and they finally narrowed down to Greenland. It was like one in Pittsburgh, I think, and then one in Greenland. So Walter hops on a plane, flies over to Greenland. It is a, a desolate country, to say the least. Okay, he doesn't just hop on a plane. This is one of the most epic throws to the second act in any movie ever. Could have been a sideswipe and we could have been there. <laughs> no, he, in slow motion, starts running out of the life offices. He runs past all these old covers that are put on the walls as posters. The last cover, of course, features him as an astronaut. Yeah, again, the narcissism all and egotism at an all-time high, it's like... John Lennon, uh, all these like huge artists and figures in history, and then Ben Stiller's at the end. He's telling you that the everyman could be up there. It's not like, look how special I am. I'm Ben Stiller. He's saying, I am you, and I am up there. So you could be up there, too. <laughs> uh, and you can make fun of Arcade Fire all you want, but that song that, that you know... Oh, yeah. uh, and I it, will make fun of them. It gets you. It, it's it, Tell me a better song that they could have played in that moment. Uh, Night Moves by Bob Seger. <laughs> our, our previously mentioned, uh, uh, Someday by Sugar Ray. Last Resort with Papa Roach. Okay, that could work because <laughs> it is his last resort. As he's, uh, he's closing the door, leaving his assistant behind. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> good God. 
when he finally does fucking get to Greenland, not many people there. As I was telling Julio, I was actually doing just reading about Greenland when we were watching the movie, and yeah, it's a there's a lot of land there for very little people, and there is a drunk pilot that's singing karaoke there. This is how you do drunk karaoke. You've heard me complain in the podcast before about how it just that's such a trope. We don't need any more comedic sequences of people singing karaoke badly because haha that's funny he is that guy's in the background he's not the focus of the scene focus Dude. of the scene is ben stiller sitting at the bar and drinking a boot full of beer that in a movie filled with cringeworthy moments 500 days of summer the one of yes. joe joseph oh. gordon levitt do a drunk karaoke is so cringeworthy yeah every so time every time some, every time somebody sings in that movie it's just please stop <laughs> Anytime it fades in from black in that movie, uh, stop. <laughs> and this pilot's drunk singing um, Don't You Want Me Baby by... Fuck, who sang that song? I'll look that up momentarily. Not important, but it's a great song. And he comes over, wants Walter to sing with him. Walter's not really in the mood for it. He's trying to get all the, the dirt and all the lowdown. Walter's like, come on, man. That stuff's not funny anymore. <laughs> Uh, he's trying to get the what's going on. He's trying to find out where the fuck Sean is from the bartender and said, you know, there's a boat offshore that uh, we take mail to by helicopter. Uh, she has a line like we're a bar and a helipad. And so this guy comes up. They're drinking from Das Boot, the gl- glass boot. <laughs> glass boot. <laughs> das Boot. Haven't you ever seen Beer Fest? Yeah. Oh, no, no. I, oh. I mean, I know the movie Das Boot. That's why. Oh, yeah. So. The drunk pilot is angry that Ben Stiller won't sing, tries to get in a fight with him, breaks a beer bottle. He's going to stab him. Stiller notices a very unique thumb ring he has on. And wouldn't you know it, it matches up with one of the pictures that Sean took. So this is where like, the genius of the movie starts, the, the genius switch of the movie. Because you've had enough fantasy sequences and you become familiar enough with the setup that you're never sure if this is really happening. Once the fight starts, it could have been another instance of, oh, well, it's just like uh, when he fought Adam Scott with the uh, stretchy toy. This is just a fantasy. But no, it turns out that it's real. It's really happening. He actually got in a brawl in a bar in real life. So it's horrible. Just, you know, ad for Greenland here. (laughs) It's been in the country fucking five minutes. (laughs) This American just shows up. And of course, he has to start trouble. And also they they portrayed their airport. They're like a barn. It was just like a. (laughs) A steel shack. Well, now you know how Peruvians feel every time they watch the depiction of Peru in any American movie. It's not llamas everywhere, man. Uh, but yeah, it was. It's pretty exciting once you realize that. Oh wow, he's he's actually starting to live, not just daydream, but he's actually living. The Human League sang that song. It's, it's who? The Human League. I don't know who that is. It's you know that song though, right? I know this song. Yeah, I, I think they were a definitive one-hit wonder. I thought it was Genesis quintessential as it were okay where do we go from here another great it's like you want to skip over the greatest moments in this movie because the drunk pilot offers to give him a ride to the boat Mm -hmm. and ben stiller rightfully so says no because you're drunk yeah he says let me finish this beer (laughs) that's always something you want to hear from someone that's gonna (laughs) operate a flying machine yeah and then as the helicopter is getting ready to go, Ben Stiller finds inspiration in another daydream. And here, I know this this is going to be a little controversial, but you've listened to the show for 80 plus episodes now. So you should be ready for some hot takes every now and then. 
I think Kristen Wiig's rendition of uh, Major Tom, I want to say a little better than David Bowie's. My God. Because... Coming in with the big guns. <laughs> it's not com- because it's not alone, right? Okay, so maybe if you have them by themselves, just the tracks, mm-hmm. then of course Bowie has the the advantage. But Kristen Wiig is actually assisting the movie in a way that David Bowie, as far as I can tell, doesn't have in his career. And also, it's a callback because I forgot to mention earlier, Adam Scott. One of the things he's trying to degradate uh, Ben Stiller with is he's. When he catches him daydreaming, he just says, you know, ground control to Major Tom. Right. And then on their sort of date earlier, uh, Kristen Wiig told him it's uh, that song is not it's not a bad thing. It's about mm-hmm. being courageous and taking chances and going where, where no man has gone before. So so it makes sense that, that would he would think of her and that song and then be inspired to jump into that helicopter as it's taking off. And it's so badass because... That reaction shot of Ben Stiller as he gets into the helicopter, that should have been the poster of the movie. <laughs> if I have something bad to say about this movie is that the posters are kind of silly. Have you seen them? I, I had to put one as the as the mm. the thumbnail in our uh in our the future page. And uh it's like Ben Stiller standing on the moon. Which I mean, I get, I get what they were going for. So just intense, uh, even cranked up narcissism. <laughs> oh, and then there's the classic him jumping over, I guess, the city or whatever. But that it doesn't really. I mean, I don't think it does the movie much justice. Again, it's hard to to really summarize what the movie is. Mm-hmm. But if you're gonna go weird, then just go with that shot, the full emotion as he's just barely making it into that helicopter. And you can tell it's, that's the key moment because that's when he really – this is more of him take action, more even more so than him taking a plane to Greenland, him actually becoming an action hero and just jumping into a, a helicopter that's taking off. That's that's the everyman telling us you can go on your own adventure too. In the writing room, he's just like, and then I think I'm going to jump in a helicopter. Okay? Okay. Moving on. And he gets on the helicopter. It was the speed uh, rider's writing room. Yes. <laughs> and then <laughs> – Kristen Wiig plays the song. <laughs> he gets on the chopper. He gets on the ship, uh, albeit after some trials and tribulations. As he falls, he jumps in the wrong side, falls in the water, and then a shark comes after him. But fortunately, the uh, crew is able to bring him aboard, and he had just missed Sean. He found a piece of paper he left behind that had his schedule on it, and he learns that now he has to go to Iceland. So he's chasing Sean, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I like that uh, this movie knows just how far to take uh, minor characters. They never, like I said, this is Walter's story, but he's surrounded by characters that are really funny, but also they could burn you out if mm-hmm. if you kept them for too long. So Adam Scott's character, right? He's like a total asshole. He's a douchebag. Funny in, in small portions. And so you get quite a bit of him in the first act, and then he kind of disappears, pops up a couple times during the movie, and then at the end, uh, uh, Remy, Pat Oswalt, on the phone, you know, he pops up every now and then, and then pay off at the end. Sean Penn, same thing. Uh, and then there's minor characters like here when he's in that boat, and there's the one sailor from Greenland that speaks only in uh, American idioms, but really outdated ones. So it's like he's talking to a, a TV show from like the 80s or yeah. the 90s. Uh it's great, but it's only in the movie for maybe 10 minutes tops, maybe even less. So 
Yeah, that guy through the an entire movie, he would just wear you down. But, but Sean wasn't there, so this whole fucking thing was relentless. Like it was pointless. No, 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 no. Because I mean, if you're gonna take that attitude, the entire movie is pointless. Because you know, spoiler alert, the negative because was negative was with him all along. In, <laughs> yeah, it was inside him all along. You're missing the point, Alex. The point is the adventure. It's just going out. This is a journey, not the destination. So he finds out where he needs to go. He goes to Iceland. He makes it there. Uh, he's got his Stretch Armstrong, which he uses to coerce these three youths, not even youths, little boys, into trading their longboard for Ruffians, because they're also skateboarders. Hoodlums. Uh, so he gets a longboard, trades away his Stretch Armstrong. But in Iceland, it, obviously, there's a bit of a language gap. He doesn't speak Icelandic. And he... Um, or he doesn't speak the Icelandic dialect, I should say. And there's an active volcano that he's unaware of. Despite everyone fleeing this town in terror, Ben Stiller is just like, hey, what's going on? I think it's a perfect representation of American tourist. <laughs> that's a that's a very fair point. And, and he does know that he's going to a volcano because the whole point is that um, Sean is going to the volcano to take pictures of it. He doesn't seem to have any real care about it. Though. Well, I don't think he knows that it's it's an erupting volcano. That's right. He doesn't know until uh, the local hotel owner tells him. But he thinks he knows where Sean is. He's in the belly of the beast, so he takes his longboard, uh, ties some rocks to his hands to make sure he can kind of guide himself on the road. So badass, dude. Don't tell me that that was not... I Disappear by Metallica starts playing. <laughs> Maybe this is the Papa Roach sequence. <laughs> They just reuse the song. Yeah. It's like an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. It's just every time that something cool happens, you get the same tune. Uh, I I love it. It's you don't get to see Ben Stiller as uh, an action hero anywhere, even in Tropic Thunder. I mean, the joke is that it's, he's the yeah. action hero, but here it's it's happening. It's true. That's uh, the guy that was. Uh, Working in an office 24-7 and never leaving home, suddenly skateboarding towards an active volcano with rocks on his hands. How badass is that? How inspirational is that? Who'd have thunk it? And he gets down there. To... It's almost like he directed the movie. <laughs> it's almost like he had full creative control. He finally gets down to the volcano, thinks he's going to find uh, Sean. Instead, the fucking doomsday siren starts going off. Uh, the aforementioned local hotel owner pulls up, and there's a bit of a language gap, but it explains it's about to erupt. We need to get the fuck out of here. Uh, I think that this redeems... Uh, oh, well, no, that was Greenland. This is Iceland. I was gonna no, say Green this. Book won Best Picture. <laughs> That's irredeemable. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think because when he trades the... The stretch Armstrong for the longboard. The kids are kind of laughing, and the, because they they can tell that he's asking about the volcano without really knowing what's going on, and mm -hmm. they don't tell him. And uh, little shits, right? But then it's kind of heartwarming that there was somebody in in Iceland that actually decided to risk their life to save Ben Stiller because there's this guy that really didn't owe him anything, and yet he goes and saves his life. If that guy doesn't show up with his car, then Ben Stiller is dead. So he gets them while this volcano is starting to erupt. The, the guy tells Ben, so, you know, get the fuck in. We got to get out of here. We see like an old crop duster plane up ahead that has Sean Penn strapped to the hood of it to go into the bowels of the beast, I guess, to take these pictures. Kind of showing uh, Ben Stiller that you may be a little badass right now, but this is what real men do. This is it's the scene is it Jedi or Empire where we see the helmet getting lowered onto Darth Vader. <laughs> that's Empire. Yeah, that, that's that's the introduction scene here of Sean Penn. 
Uh, Walter gets back. He's back home, goes to work, immediately fired because Adam Scott is aware that he doesn't have this negative. He knows he lost it, so he just fires him right away. But you can see a little bit of backbone has started growing. Um, of course, it would because he's done a few badass things uh, already in the movie. Because he he pushes back a little bit, whereas mm-hmm. before in the movie, the only time that he pushed back against Adam Scott was in his in his fantasies. But yeah. now here, he tells him, "Hey, I've ne- I never lost uh, a negative in my what twenty years with the company, seventeen years with the company." Uh, it's believable because. And I, I think a cheaper movie would have him just go all out against Adam Scott. But here, it's it's just a small measurement of courage that he gets. It's doling it out. Right. Teaspooning it. it. You got to build up to his big telling him off at the very end. So anyway, he takes the longboard he acquired in Iceland to Cheryl's. Uh, a man answers the door. We established a bit earlier on. She was recently divorced. So Walter, um, who went across the world with no promise of finding this photographer for a fucking negative that's about the size of a thumbnail doesn't even ask any questions here does no investigative work and just assumes that they're back together and just leaves have you forgotten alex what it's like to be insecure around women that you like so all this perceived growth for not well, Maybe it's... his superpowers don't work stateside. <laughs> I think you're always more vulnerable around the ones you care for the most. So, of course, it's a lot easier to be a superhero when you're surrounded by strangers. But then the moment that you're around the girl you like, you start stuttering uh, like Colin Firth <laughs> in our last episode. Uh, it makes perfect sense. Real life is not like a video game where you just level up and then you don't have to confront your past weaknesses ever again. It's it's a constant process of going forward and backwards and sometimes you completely relapse. So I totally I, I totally bought it that he would just panic and just leave. So he does leave. He goes to his mom's apartment. He is obviously down in the dumps. He so because of that, of course, what he does naturally is throws away a gift that was given to him. He just pitches the wallet that uh, Sean O'Connell had sent him. Setting up one of the funniest punchlines later in the movie. So he throws that away. He's looking at the third picture that he can never figure out what it was. And it turns out it was in front of him all along. It was his uh, the piano that was built by his father for his mom. And he says, Mom, did someone take a picture of this? And she's like, yeah, I did using Sean's camera. She never mentioned that she just hung out with this dude because like did. no one's ever met him. No, no, no. She did. It's just that he was daydreaming when she told him. And the, we didn't even get to see that daydream. We don't even know the scenario they're talking about. They're at the grocery store. Or we are we are on uh, Stiller's POV. So, of course, we just get the information filtered through his eyes. So if he wasn't aware of it, we're not aware of it. So she took this picture using his camera. Uh, and because of this. She knows where he's going next. It's like, um, fuck. The joke's tanking now, but the little boy in <laughs> Halloween 5. <laughs> Shirley McLean's like, you don't know where they're going, but I do. The Tower Farm. Slightly better actor, actress. <laughs> yeah, little bit better delivery. Uh, he's dealing with warlocks and through the context clues that he already had, as well as the hard evidence and information now, uh, not evidence, but facts from, 
Shirley MacLaine, he finds that Sean O'Connell is wondering about in Ungovered Afghanistan. <laughs> um, I really... I mean, I love the entirety of this movie, but this it's its pretty awesome how Ben Stiller, as a director, keeps just going in and out of different styles in the movie. So here we go into full-on travelogue, and he he starts putting that, that uh, travel book that his dad gave him, uh, the travel journal, to good use. And mm-hmm. so now you see what he's writing on the screen as it's happening. So he recruits... Uh, two guides to take him through Afghanistan, and and then on the screen he writes Sherpas, like, yeah. yeah, he writes, uh, I uh, I hire two little men, <laughs> which is <laughs> it's not him being an asshole. It's just like what the direct translation of a very specific word that Champagne had used is. Uh, mm-hmm. So that that makes sense. And then uh, he climbs up a mountain. He gets blessed in front of a tree. He shares his mom's cake with a with a warlord. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thus being granted passage. That's it's so The guy uses the bayonet of his <laughs> assault rifle to scoop up the uh the piece of Clementine cake. It's a very, very uh, uh delicate balance of being whimsical while still remaining believable. <laughs> and and it pulls it off. I mean, that's uh, the the real purpose of all the daydreaming earlier on. It just sets you up for to be able to believe all the stuff later on in the in the movie. I guess that's a fair point still. Uh, I mean, the realistic scenario would have been he takes the clementine cake, eats it, and then shoots all of them. <laughs> you got to have faith in people, Alex. So eventually he gets to a higher point of the mountain. He's in, he's in the Himalayas at this point, and the Sherpas explain uh, through motions, hand motions, that, no, you're going the rest of this way on your own. Hilarious bit of physical comedy. So with the greatest cell phone of all time... <laughs> Walter Mitty's able to receive a phone call at the tippy top of the Himalayas, and it's Todd again, the conscience of the film, the voice of God in many ways, before his son comes onto screen. Uh, <laughs> but Patton Oswald calls just to check in on uh, Walter Mitty. What dedication of this eHarmony That's employee. a world-class customer service right there, man. And that is a hell of an eHarmony endorsement. I was Match.com really... must have been hating themselves for not getting on board with this movie. I, I was confused when it, the executive producer on it was eHarmony Incorporated, but <laughs> now it makes a bit more sense. He calls, just wondering what's going on. Uh, they have to cut the call short, though. Because he's running out of oxygen. <laughs> he has to conserve oxygen. And also he comes across, lo and behold, it's Sean O'Connell. It's Brad Pitt scene in 12 Years a Slave. It's <laughs> Jesus is here. Sean Penn here to speak the truth. It's Christopher Walken and Pulp Fiction. It's all that rolled into one. And he, the first thing he does is just tells him to shut up. Or he's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> well, he doesn't know it's him. And he hasn't slept in days, clearly, either. <laughs> Both of them... It, how amazing it is that maybe for the first and only time in film history, Sean Penn and Ben Stiller kind of looked alike. <laughs> you have this two shot of them and they both look rugged. Like, like that's what uh, the first time he goes back when, when he gets fired, when Ben Stiller gets fired, one of his co-workers look at, looks at him and he's got, you know, the five o'clock shadow and he looks like shit. And he's like, man, you look rugged. So he tells him he lost the negative and... Sean O'Connell replies with, you're sitting on it, because he put the negative in the wallet he gave him. And here's where Ben Stiller has to explain to you know his stepmom that, well, I didn't like that vase, so I took it back after Christmas. 
he tells Sean Penn that he threw the wallet away. And Sean Penn is more concerned with his hurt feelings at this point. <laughs> he actually says, there's a small pause, and then he goes, well, that really hurts my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what you expect from Sean Penn in any movie. This sort of uh, comedic delivery. Mm-hmm. And the the whole reason he's there is he's, at this point, just... Again, his eccentric character is photographing what he refers to as the ghost cat. It's a snow leopard. Uh, eventually, it comes along, and then the motherfucker doesn't even take a picture of it. <laughs> because, Alex, I, I, I understand now why you don't like this movie. You just you didn't get it. You missed the point. Oh, did I? Yeah. Sean Penn lives in the moment. It's kind of like uh, you've seen Saving Private Ryan, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember when uh, Tom Hanks basically coaxes... Uh, a story out of Matt Damon. He tells him, you know, this is what I do to get by. I just think of good memories. And then um, Matt Damon tells a story about him and his brothers fucking around. And and then he talks to, and then he turns to Hanks and it's like, okay, so what's yours? What's the story? And and he just, he basically says, well, I think about my wife, but I keep that story to myself. <laughs> Some moments in life, you just keep to yourself. You don't take a picture so that life can publish them or whatever magazine can publish them everywhere. Uh, the point of living is that you don't broadcast everything everywhere like millennials like to do these days. Some stuff you just keep to yourself. You just enjoy the experience for just the, the act of, of being in it, of living it. And it's, it's, it's just great because we've seen Ben Stiller be go from somebody who only who never really experienced the moment because he was always daydreaming to slowly becoming to somebody who stopped daydreaming because they're experiencing the moment but yet even then Sean Penn has to tell him that it's not just enough to like live the moment but also like you have to appreciate it you know sometimes sometimes you just don't take the picture and rightfully so after you know the picture's not taken or whatever but rightfully so Stiller you know lets him know the frames or the negative excuse me is lost and Sean Penn's just like, well, it's a shame. It was a good one. He's like, well, what was it? And he's like, fuck you. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> he's like, you lost it. You had your chance. <laughs> and then we get uh, clips interspersed here of Sean Penn and Ben Stiller playing uh, pickup soccer with some. I, I was so happy. Children. Be- soccer doesn't get enough climatic sequences in movies. And it usually gets used as a punchline for manlier uh, sports <laughs> so it was nice to see that here Sean Penn just gets down with it kicking a ball around we get back to the United States Walter flies back in an LAX and he's detained because he was trying to sneak in a uh, fife or flute or something that was given to him while visiting uh, the Middle East and he's detained and he needs someone there that can prove his identity or prove that he's Walter Mitty enter. We actually get our Patton Oswald appearance in this movie. And I, I would try to think of something to compare it to, but it's kind of like, um, when Patrick Fuigat in almost famous shows up at Rolling Stone, they're like, you're William Miller. <laughs> I was thinking you're of uh, Todd. This is probably way too obscure, but, uh, and at the end of oceans 12, when they reveal who, uh, Catherine said that Jones's dad is, and it's Albert Finney. <laughs> like, what the fuck? You've been keeping Albert Finney in your back pocket this entire movie? <laughs> um, before this, though, you get yet one more awesome action sequence, very imaginative. Basically, the first, probably, uh, in history, uh, X-ray fight sequence, where you get the two security people uh, fighting Ben Stiller, uh, to subdue him so they can, you know, take the flute away. Mm-hmm. All ha- through the guise of a, a security checkpoint at an airport. 
It's the X-ray. It's so inventive. Uh, in uh, in a world where every month we get at least two releases that are trying to top each other uh, with uh, inventive action sequences. I mean, Walter Media, a movie from 2013, already beat them all. Mm-hmm. So we get an emotional exposition between Ben Stiller and Patton Oswalt as they're sharing a Cinnabon. They're not even sharing. They each have their own. <laughs> so this is proving that you don't need Louis C.K. to uh, make Cinnabons funny. No. And Cinnabon also dropped another fat check on Stiller's table. <laughs> I see your eHarmony. Yeah. And I raise you a Cinnabon. <laughs> Patton Oswalt's like, how is that Cinnabon? And Ben Stiller's like, delicious. And then Oswald can't help himself. He's like, it's like heroin. <laughs> Back to the real world. The piano is just not going to work out for Shirley MacLaine. Uh, Walter has to sell the piano. His mom and his sister are there, and they get rid of it. And it's kind of like saying goodbye to his dad. It's a it's an emotional scene, not going to lie. But we don't really get time for that to register because then the movie just it just cheats you. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> I was trying to think of how to word this. It cheats out of a you know a moment of learning. And Dude, they hug for at least five seconds. That's more than enough. No, I'm talking about what follows that. Okay. Where she just had his wallet the whole time. She says, oh, I fished this out of the trash for you. Here's your wallet. I, I always save your knickknacks. What a mom thing to say. I love it. But it's just like Walter now has to learn nothing. But he he learned it's he it's actually learns, he learns I can do whatever I want. <laughs> no, I don't have to suffer any consequences. Mom's not gonna be around forever. <laughs> but also, I just love it because things just work out the way they're meant to. I mean, if you if you're Walter Mitty, if you take the plunge into adventure. Uh, but what I love is that the usual mo- uh, movie message is that you know oh what you were searching for was in front of you all along. And that applies here, right? But it doesn't stop there because really what uh, what Ben Stiller, what Walter has gained from this is not just that, oh, the, the reward of finding negative 25 in, in his wallet is everything else that he gained in the journey. So what this movie is saying is, yes, what you were looking for was in front of you all along. But also, it's a good thing that you went out and looked for it everywhere. He had to go around the world just to come back and be told by Shirley MacLaine, yeah, you you didn't have to do any of that. He traveled all over the world. He jumped on helicopters. He fought sharks. He almost died repeatedly. (laughs) That's life. Life is Just for Shirley MacLaine to be like, I was throwing these avocado peelings out and I saw your wallet in there. Mom. So he goes back to life. He drops the negative off. Doesn't even look at it. And uh, he gets his big... I don't know if you'd call this the Oscar scene, but it is like uh, his big climactic mic drop scene. He emasculates Adam Scott. He just dresses down Ben Wyatt. (laughs) He sees Cheryl. They're both like everyone there is collecting their severance packages and whatnot. And he sees Cheryl and uh, pretty much chases her down and confesses in a really weird way his uh, feelings for her. He he basically tells her the the story of the movie. Yeah. And... uh, Talking about all his hallucinations and you know all these weird daydreams he's having, and this is how you know they were meant for each other because she doesn't her, run away. Yeah, instead of her saying, "Well, we should probably get you some help," <laughs> she says, "Okay, well, let's go out sometime." He asks her to go see the off-Broadway play. That's the thing too. He's saying all this shit, and then this, what he invites her to sounds like some made-up-ass <laughs> shit. It's like my sister Odessa is a off-Broadway production of. Greece. It's New York. They're used to that kind of stuff. 
but she goes for it. And then we get the final reveal, the fi- the final, the coupe de grasse of just utter narcissism and pure <laughs> egotism. The cover, the picture all along, it was just Ben Stiller. If he could have taken the picture of himself, I'm sure he would have to put it in there. <laughs> it's the problem when you're reading this movie is that you see him as Ben Stiller, but you're meant to see him as just one of us. That's just that's, that that could just be you or me or anybody up there in that cover. That's that's what makes it special. I was just curious where Sean O'Connell was when he got that picture. That He's creeping really around yeah. behind the behind the big potted plant. He's got like the <laughs> disguise of a construction worker on, just hanging from a building, <laughs> taking pictures. Big mustache, <laughs> the Groucho mask, <laughs> big nose and mustache. So we fade to black after Walter's magazine cover was revealed. That he was, in fact, Walter Mitty himself was the quintessence of life. Roll the credits. I'm down with that. A Ben Stiller film. Directed by Ben Stiller. (laughs) Starring Ben Stiller. (laughs) Not written by, though. Uh, What a movie. I I mean, we're only starting March right now, and I already have candidates for every category of, uh, of the Embrys. I... I feel fairly confident predicting a sweep from Walter Mitty. Yeah, Sean Penn, Kristen Wiig, Patton Oswalt, obviously Ben Stiller. I'm trying to think of who would be eligible for the Rousey in this. Ah, uh, not Adam Scott. No, I don't know. Oh, Phil, the guy who played her husband, just fucking stone ass <laughs> delivery. <laughs> it's barely there. It doesn't really count. Yeah. Anyway, let's move this along. I'm quite angry I had to be negative about this movie. Let's move on to real talk. Hi. Hello, everyone. Hi. Uh, Hello, Nuke. (laughs) Sorry, I'm a little nervous. Okay. This one goes out to Walter Mitty. He knows why. Ground control to Major Tom Ground control to Major Tom Take your protein pills and put your helmet on We are recording for Real Talk for The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Quite angry I had to be mean about that movie. 
I don't like doing these. I don't envy you. Yeah. Uh, that was super easy for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, many of the points I would have made, you made as well, but... Yeah, I, I kind of cheated, but it was because there was no other way around it. It's, you know, there was... I usually try to have a ridiculous positive opinion, a ridiculous mm -hmm. negative opinion that doesn't mirror what I feel, but it was as I was talking about it, I would get carried away and then actually transition into real talk. <laughs> There's still more to say, of course. Yeah. Um, I was just trying to pick holes in all the obvious things. But some of the stuff that you brought up uh, are are part of the, the negative reviews that I look through. Ah. Well, those are wrong. <laughs> Man, we have watched so many movies that are rated high that are not to me anywhere near as good as this and this is at 51 percent. it's yeah if there's ever been an episode that should tell you <laughs> why we do this why we make these arguments th this is definitely it but also i think that if you were to take the Rotten tomatoes metric for what it is then it's i mean i wouldn't say it's anywhere near close to perfect right but it is 51 percent means that you know half the people didn't like it half people liked it and yeah, because really what it boils down to is uh, uh, how how cynical are you about this movie? How, how can you embrace this, its earnestness? And if you feel it makes sense, it feel right down the middle. Uh, the problem is that that fifty one percent is accompanied by a green splotch mm -hmm. that the average person will see and be like, yeah, "Oh, it's a bad movie." That's the, that's my point. That someone that knows nothing about this could see that and just automatically assume it's a bad movie makes me sad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's also that's the bigger problem if people don't really understand what Rotten Tomatoes is. And, and Rotten Tomatoes makes no effort no. To, to clarify it. <laughs> yeah, we, we're just the the almighty, the the deciders. So Walter Mitty, as I mentioned, the first portion was released on Christmas Day in 2013, directed by Ben Stiller, screenplay by Steve Conrad. This was Stiller's fifth movie. I don't know. I'll get his directorial. Uh, Credits pulled up here momentarily. Uh, a little bit of trivia surrounding this. It definitely, there was more to it than I knew in terms of like the developmental hill, as people like to say. Uh, producer Samuel Goldwyn Jr., whose father, you guessed it, Samuel Goldwyn, <laughs> produced The Secret Life of Walter Mitty in 1947 uh, and conceived the idea of doing a remake in 1994 with Jim Carrey in mind for the title role. Goldwyn chose New Line Cinema, uh, which had a positive working relationship with Carrey. The studio bought the rights in 1995 with the understanding that the uh, that the Samuel Goldwyn Company would be involved in creative decisions. Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gaines Gons, turned, turned in the first draft of the screenplay in July 1997. Ron Howard entered negotiation to direct the same month. Also Parenthood. As well as uh, cover producing duties with Brian Grazer and Image uh, Imagine Entertainment. Excuse me. Howard Grazer and Imagine Entertainment eventually left the project in favor of Ed TV in 1999, leaving the MIDI project in developmental hell. Quick sidebar, Ed TV is one of those movies that I remember when it came out, it's like, that is so crazy. That would never happen. <laughs> and that's one of those things, if you had like someone who was born after 1999 watch that, they would not understand why it's like a, yeah. a strange concept or anything. <laughs> uh, Jim Carrey, Owen Wilson, Mike Myers, and Sasha Baron Cohen were all considered for the role of Walter Mitty at one point or another. Hey, hang on. Jim Carrey, Sasha Baron Cohen, Owen Wilson, who else? Mike Myers. 
maybe Owen Wilson, I think, could pull off being the normal guy, like the everyman. Yeah, my impression, if they went with the others, it would have been way more wacky comedy-based mm-hmm. and whatnot. In April 2010, Sasha Baron Cohen was attached to star in the lead role. Later that month, Steve Conrad was hired to write the screenplay, with Gore Verbinski announced as the director in June 2010. In April 2011, it was announced that Ben Stiller had landed the lead role. In July 2011, it was announced that he was uh, also due to direct the film due to Verbinski's involvement with The Lone Ranger. Woo. Sorry, brother. Uh, and lastly, kind of running out some of this, uh, Spielberg, Ron Howard, Mark Waters were all at some point considered to direct. I did read also that Pat Oswald at one point was like, uh, helping out with the script, like in the mid to late nineties and when it was going through all its shit. He wrote the part of the, of, of the Todd. eHarmony. <laughs> um, and the description, meet Todd. He sounds like Pat Oswald. <laughs> Also, just a really funny one-off. I, I did read that, like the people where they shot in Iceland, like the villagers and citizens, as it were, were like super excited about it, and, like really eager to help and whatnot. So I always think things like that are entertaining or uh, fun anecdotes. So you think that they they would see Ben Stiller in what would they know him as? Like what would be his big thing that they would point at? Be Zoolander or I don't know how uh, to me like Tropic Thunder is always going to be his biggest, but that that's like Tug, Tug, Tug Speedman. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I I don't know why I'm doing like a fucking (laughs) European accent, but Blue Steel. (laughs) Um, but yeah, because oftentimes you'll hear the opposite that people like you know probably his character from uh, Night at the Museum. I mean, if anything, it's one of those things too where they were filming. My understanding was it's not a place where you get a bunch of production trucks and big cameras coming through. Well, so. yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. You know, I was thinking of if they were shooting in one of the villages in Peru, right? This you don't see Royal Tenenbaums mm-hmm. there, but you do know the the big blockbusters. So he was in Freaks and Geeks. Sorry, I'm scrolling through his credentials now. <laughs> anyway, getting off topic here. So this was his. I was right, fifth. Uh, directorial feature uh, reality bites cable guy zoolander and tropic thunder man i love this movie it's just hard for me to go against tropic thunder but rounding out my usual trivia and tidbits budget of 90 million dollars for a box office return of a uh, little under 190 million so made its budget back but again the critics weren't too kind to it we had a good smattering uh sprinkling a potpourri of reviews in the first half we have some more here before we head into full-on real talk where we tell you how we really feel about the movie as if you couldn't tell already yeah for real uh but yeah i got a few more quotes um for these i actually got you know for the first half because we hadn't gotten into it yet i was trying to go with with broad quotes where you can really tell what the real problems or real praise uh were from the critics here Mm -hmm. these are a little more specific uh Ollie Richards from Empire Magazine says, As a director, this feels like Stiller's moment. Midi is a film that bravely rejects cynicism. In many ways, it's the new Forrest Gump. Go with it, and it is, in all senses, wonderful. Go with it would be the key the key phrase there. Uh, Cormac O'Brien from Little White Lies says, Ben Stiller's latest directorial effort offers the balmy reassurance of a hang-in-there kitty poster. I would make an argument, and you know how much I love Forrest Gump, uh-huh. but you, I, I feel that's an unfair comparison because a lot of Forrest Gump is what a lot of Zemeckis' movies do, does, do, have done. 
with reliance on nostalgia because a huge chunk of that movie is nostalgic like yeah i mean recreating of historic moments the soundtrack all that i can see the it's also one of the greatest movies of all time i'm just saying this is a bit different right i mean i can see where you draw the comparison as in like well this is just like one guy that's not necessarily exceptional going through way out kicking his coverage on the woman (laughs) yeah that too uh amy nicholson from la weekly says like Mitty, stiller dreams big the problem is that audiences don't let him he's both famous and forgotten the best comedy director of his generation hiding in plain sight that's <laughs> some yeah, big words that those are some big words i was about to say like i haven't seen zoolander one or two i haven't seen two i've seen the first one but i love tropic thunder i love reality bites I I've seen the cable guy twice. The first time I really liked it. Second time I hated it. So I guess I, I'm due for a, a tiebreaker there. Greatest comedy director of his generation. I don't know though. As Nicolas Cage would say, that's high praise. Uh, Daniel M. Kimmel uh, from New England Movies Weekly says the brand name dropping is so gratuitous that when the movie appears on television, the commercials will already be in place. Yeah, I mean, it, it never they took me serve out of the movie. a purpose to the story. Yeah, then like the name brands serve a purpose. It's not just it's not that scene in Wayne's World where it's like they've got the Pepsi and the well, like it's it's like the it's like eHarmony, right? You you can see eHarmony there, or you could create your own sort of online dating thing. I think that seeing a fake one would be more distracting than seeing eHarmony on screen. But like that other quote said, your mileage may vary. Maybe you find the harmony more distracting than having uh, love.com up there. The Papa John's was worth it. It paid off twice because, like, yeah, Papa John's is one of the names in it. Because Shirley McLean's like, after your dad died, you got that job at that pizza place that was real fatherly. <laughs> it's like Papa John's. And then the payoff of being it's the only restaurant in that village is in in Iceland. <laughs> Which again, it wouldn't aesthetically, it wouldn't be as funny if it was some fictional pizza chain, right? Yeah, like yeah, when yeah. the Papa John's logo comes into frame, that it's like that shit's funny. There is a, um, I remember I read this a long time ago about how there was a, I think it was a movie or a screenplay that was written that was supposed to take place in um, Disney World, but then for or maybe it was a short story. I mean, some something that basically it was set in Disney World, but of course because they couldn't get the rights to Disney World they would have to change Disney World to something else. And in doing so, it would completely defeat the purpose of the story because the story works because it's set in Disney World, not yeah. because it's set in like Wally World mm-hmm. or whatever. So I think that there are times where the story necessitates you to use real brands, or at the very least, it's not hurt by you using real brands. It actually makes it more relatable. Uh, I mean, Stephen King name drops brands all the time, and I think that there's something to be said for like the specificity of telling you that you're living in this world that's the real world yeah it makes it relatable and also like as someone who's watched a lot of movies and played video games i mean it's hard to explain but you can tell when something's just shoehorned in for like uh corporate advertising purposes it's the truman show shot of uh laura yeah 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 there you go Um, i just remember one of the tony hawk games the first ones for like the uh not the ps2 but the next gen after that like skating around like the levels are similar but then there's just like a burger king logo in the middle of nowhere it's like what the fuck is this anyway i <laughs> uh, got a few more uh matt killerman from aspectratio.us the fondest farewell to the wonder of waiting for that perfect shot with that last royal film before digital cameras turned images into bits and bytes and flash drives with five thousand photos for an editor to pour through i figured you'd like that one i do 
because <laughs> that I do have on my notes here, like amongst the myriad of attempting to make negative notes, I did right off to the side. Perfect timing because this, like, this was when a lot of magazines were going out, and I mean, I th- I don't think that's like a hidden commentary in it. It's just based on something that was really happening, and again, something that twenty years from now, people, young people, will watch and not really understand what the big deal is. Yeah, why didn't he just like uh, what do you call it when you take a uh... Is a burst when your phone takes like a thousand pictures, which is like the, that. Just leave your phone there and automatic, just bursting, and eventually you catch that leopard. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not like you in the sense that I don't. Uh, the quintessence th- of life. The film nostalgia doesn't really hit me. To me, film was uh, more of a pain in the ass, and digital makes it easier. It's more practical, so I embrace it. I understand where people like you are coming from, <laughs> and I can definitely understand the 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 love of people film as like an me. art. Well, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, to me, a good photo is a good photo. Where you took it uh, on, you know, a roll of film, or you took it with your iPhone. If it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it art just because you use film. Yeah. But I know that there's there's a level of care and love that goes into treating film mm-hmm. and you can feel robbed of that robbed of the process i've told you if that was like if i could make a living if i could make as much money as i do now at my shoot job still doing that i i would still be working with film you'd find the one theater in austin, I was about two to say, theaters in austin. there's like two jobs for film projectionists in austin so and they're also like they're 70, all grandfathered yeah, in yeah. yeah 70 year old guys can barely carry the prints, but God damn it, <laughs> they're going to die with those projectors. They're the guy that fucking comes to um, touch up Woody in Toy Story 2. <laughs> I've told you that story, I think, of a... It was a documentary. Somebody was talking about how they were watching a classic movie in some art house in New York. And it was... Obviously, it was a film print. And at some point, the the movie... The, the, the image goes all pink or something because there was the film was damaged. And so... But then within a minute, it was fixed because the projectionist caught it and they put a filter in front of the projector or something. It was, you know, it was a guy who's, who his career was projecting film. Nice. And uh, they're like, that's awesome. I was like, yes, but also I'm just glad we don't have to deal with that anymore. Yeah. For those of you who may not know or even care now, uh, you get a hard drive. You get an external hard drive sent to your movie theater and you plug it into the main computer and that's how the movie comes. And you just play your DVD. And you can't adjust the focus on the projectors without calling into a a company that's hooked up to the projector via satellite. Because, God forbid, you have to fuck with the focus. Quit getting me sidetracked. Finish up these quotes. (laughs) We are like like this movie. We're just going to these nostalgic daydreams. Um, Ed Whitfield from The Ooh Tray says, it looks as if Stiller had a conversation with Adam Sandler and Mike Myers about how you can inflate your budget using commercial sponsors, thus guaranteeing a huge payday for yourself. Again, I think that's a very cynical view of it. Extremely. Uh, Charles Kaplinsky from the Illinois Times says, MIDI, a magical tribute to the possible. Uh, Steve Persall from Tampa Bay Times says the imposing carpe diem purpose on the secret life of Walter Mitty, although no deeper than the Nike ad, Stiller turns Thurber's every man into every man for himself. If you have a dream, get your own movie. In that, uh, there were a few more like this one where they would reference not even the previous movie, but the actual short story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the last one, by the way. Uh, and uh, they would basically accuse Ben Stiller of completely 
misrepresenting what what Walter Mitty was supposed to be in the original short story. And having not read the short story, I couldn't tell you like if they're correct or not. I mean, I'm sure it's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whether you think that that difference detracts from the movie or not, I mean, that's up to you. It was written 70 years before the movie <laughs> came out, so I think the tonally it may be a little different. I mean, I guess I can't speak as to whether it misses the point of the of the book or not, but I can say that well, maybe it shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. I understand if you love the book, it might shock you a little bit to see a movie that has the same title and that doesn't reflect the same point of view. But that doesn't mean that the movie is bad. Yeah, I was about to say, a good movie is a good movie. Yeah. Uh, I remember reading the... I finally read the short story that Minority Report is based on. Mm-hmm. And the movie, uh, it basically takes a complete opposite uh, position regarding the, the precogs. At the end of the movie... Spoiler for anybody who hasn't watched Minority Report, but uh, the whole point of the movie is that it was wrong to arrest people <laughs> for not oh, doing. Really? Yeah, do you remember? Like they they basically dismantled the the pre the precog program and release everybody that got arrested just based on the the precognitions instead of actually committing a crime. And uh, in the book, the the short story is the complete opposite. Mm-hmm. They end and they're like, "All right, well, I guess it works." We just got to be careful with it. That is a very, very different uh, approach to what the movie, you know, to what the story is saying. It doesn't mean that Minority Report is not a good movie because it's so different. It's, I think it's a great movie. But maybe if you love the short story. Well, it, you know, to bring it to horror terms, which I'm usually pretty good at, the Halloween 3. It's like, yeah, it has nothing to do with this <laughs> other stuff, but doesn't mean it's a, necessarily a bad movie. Right. It's unfortunate that you came to it with very different expectations but maybe uh you know i find that usually in that case if you can find it in yourself to give it a second shot then it's a lot easier to handle all the differences but of course will you give it a second shot (laughs) there is a question so yes i fucking loved this movie when i saw it back i guess probably would have been 2014 if i didn't see it and christmas uh Julio got it for me for I guess we were like the only two like out of our little crew that really enjoyed it and you got it for me for Christmas I think the following year. It was it was that meme of the the two Spider-Man pointing at each other. Have you seen it? <laughs> <laughs> and I liked it, loved it even more watching it tonight. I think it it ages tremendously and I think there's so much good in it. It's a movie that I would it's one of those that I, a hill I would die on to have a lot of those people that reviewed it, watch it again to see if their feelings still stand about it. Cause obviously, especially around Christmas time reviewing movies, I could see just from a critical sense, um, maybe not even a conscious, but kind of a heightened cynicism towards something. But that's the thing. Yeah. It's, it's a very earnest movie and I I don't want to derail us into a life itself conversation, especially because I'm going to bring it up later during my plugs. But, uh, the, there is, uh, uh, you have to open yourself to this type of movie. And of course, the movie has to help you. <laughs> and so, if you're a Ben Stiller fan, that's its start. If you are, uh, in the mood for this type of movie to begin with, that's a start. But if you're going in guarded and you start just rolling your eyes as soon as the movie tries to say something that's even a little bit feel goody, then, you know, and I can imagine in, like you said, Christmas season, you're kind of, flooded with those kind of movies mm-hmm. the, the feel-good movies of the holiday season so then you get this one that isn't it fascinating to think about that like if this was released in the summer how maybe the different the reaction would be like yeah that type of thing. yeah uh it's uh, 
it doesn't really have a. I don't think it has like a cynical bone in its film body. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. No, it's great. It's like, especially in the past few years, the uptick in movies that have been really well received. Uh, it's it's also just like the time we're in right now, but it's a lot more dark and cynical and like some fucked up shits going on in the movies <laughs> these days. And then that doesn't mean that something can't be made like this and not be good. I mean, I don't understand also like how you couldn't come away. Like I was saying, even if you hate what's going on, it's still like a beautifully shot movie. Yes. Uh, I was to the point you, of like rewatching it now. I'm like, holy shit, Ben Stiller did this. Yeah, from the opening shots, because I had forgotten that it was directed by him. I I told you we were watching it, and then uh, it it has a good, you know, opening like what five minutes before you get to the title sequence mm-hmm. and you get the directed by Ben Stiller. So those opening shots, I'm seeing them, and I'm trying to remember who directed this because this looks really good. And it's obviously I've seen it before, so I remember that it's you know photography has a lot to do with it, and I could appreciate how he was framing the images, and uh, it, it there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that you could say, oh yeah, this would go in a magazine the way that it's framed. Yeah. And so. Yep. Then when I remembered it was Ben Stiller, and then I saw his name on the on the credits, I was like, yeah, good for him. Another thing, too, with Kristen Wiig, it's one of the things I said was an issue in the first half, but obviously not. Some people probably look at it as, like, neutering a character or an actress like that that's known for, like, her comedy. Oh, but she's God, so good. she's wonderful in this. Yeah, it's not like she gets a non-character. That would be neutering her. But yeah. no, she, she has... She has a fully developed character, and her chemistry with Ben Stiller is off the charts. Yeah, it's they don't get that much time together, so it's it's very they important. Make it that count. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's so good, and they feel like real people. I mean, she. I really appreciate that she's not super quirky. Mm-hmm. It, it just that kind of you know Zoe Deschanel character. Or speaking of Five Hundred Days of Summer, <laughs> I, I'm honestly unsure off the top of my head. I can think of something else Kristen Wiig has done as this, and that I guess the word I would have to use is toned down because mm-hmm. you know bridesmaids stuff like that. But uh, it really goes to show how talented she is, and also like you said, the chemistry was stiller, and again goes back to speaking for him as a director for him being able to craft these scenes Mm -hmm. and stuff with them and uh elsewhere on the cast is there a more versatile person to have on your cast than adam scott (laughs) because i can't think of really anyone off the top of my head gary ullman uh, in terms of I've seen him be the bad guy and the good guy so many times, and I buy it equally every single time. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, there's some guys that you like you will just not buy as like a good guy in a movie, full on douchebag. And yeah. yet, this is Ben Wyatt. Yeah, exactly. He's so lovable as Ben Wyatt, and then in this, it's like, yeah, you do really want to punch him in the face. He he doesn't really have any good funny lines though, in terms of like um, his bad guy character and stepbrothers. Like he he doesn't have any like one liners, but. He has a couple. Um, his just presence and like mannerisms and everything. I mean, he's he is pretty over the top here, but also he is toned down compared to like his other bad guy roles. He has that moment when he's exiting the the elevator, and because uh, he asks him what he does. Yes, think, okay, that that is yeah. And he goes off daydream, and then he tells him what he does. Worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Shirley MacLaine is fantastic. I, I mean, obviously that's not news, and- right? But much like with uh, Catherine Hahn, you know, she gets two scenes, three scenes, and and then she gets the 
the oh, so that's why you cast Cyril McLean moment, which is I referenced it in in Contrarian's Corner or uh, Gray Matter, <laughs> um, when she says. I always save your knickknacks. I love that scene so much. I know that was the one I was picking up, like for two reasons: one, the way it's acted out, it, it's excellent, and two, I mean that's a really cool just trope for the movie that like it was in the wallet. He thought he lost the wallet; it was there all along, that type of thing. But yeah, that that's wonderful. She's so motherly, right? And it, it does that thing that movies do, where you just you kind of underestimate her character because. You're because you're seeing it all through Ben Stiller's eyes. You just see her as somebody who needs to be taken care of, mm-hmm. and then she pulls that that major trump card of uh, no, I'm still your mom, and I'm about to save your ass. <laughs> that whole scene's tremendous too when they when they sell the piano because like they have that hug, and then Catherine Hahn walks away one way crying, and then uh-huh. they pair off together. Yeah, and as if we couldn't say enough good things about this movie, there's two more. Uh, the Patton Oswald arc throughout it is wonderful. Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense why he would keep calling him, but he does at, obviously, always the most inopportune times, and it's funny. And it's that thing of Patton Oswald. Who's more likable than that <laughs> right. dude? Uh, I can buy that he would call him, oddly enough, because uh, this is you know, you just by have the, to believe. Yeah, by the end, because he at that point, he's intrigued with right, Walter. Right. So, yeah. If you believe that he is that he's taking him at face value and that this guy's actually doing the things that he says that he's doing. And yeah, you want to check in on him, especially if you're, if you've managed to turn around his profile to where he's getting all the winks and all that stuff, you know? And it's worth it all for the payoff of him being the only person in LA (laughs) that can identify him. And also you got to know there are people at the time that watching that movie in the theater were thinking, who the fuck is, I know that voice. Who is it? And then, you know, Remy shows up there. Would you have recognized his voice? Do you you remember if you recognize his voice? I don't think I did. I think that was one of the things I was like, Oh, I like watching the movie. Yeah, I know for a fact I didn't. I'm terrible at that kind of stuff. And then with uh, Sean Penn, I, I, di- I didn't want to exclaim when we were watching it, but God, when he finally finds him, it, like the movie, we've talked so much about movies having great scenes that they didn't earn. Like it feels like the <laughs> yeah. movie earned that scene. Yep. Because you feel like Walter earned find him, finding him, and then the movie, the way it built up to it, it, it really earned it. Because the way especially... It builds the music builds to a crescendo, and when you think that's when he's going to find him, that's when he gets called from Todd, <laughs> and then he starts walking on the phone talking to Todd, and then Sean Penn's right there. So, and they're how long is that scene? Two, three minutes? Uh yeah, yeah. I, I want to say maybe a little more because they have again. It, it's slow. It's for all the jesting and whatnot, and you know whatever you want to say about Sean Penn, it, it shows his work here shows why he is who he is. He knocks it out of the park. It, it's so good. When I had forgotten that he didn't take the picture. Mm-hmm. So when he, but I, I called it in my head. I didn't say it out loud. But as soon as he, the leopard shows up and looks at the camera, I, I just felt it. I was like, oh, he's not going to take the picture. And, and he doesn't. And I don't think I got it the first time around, but this time I definitely did. I was like, because he's the complete opposite of Walter's character. Mm-hmm. He is, he's the guy that's more interested in feeling what's happening right now and just being present and, uh, just seeing seeing Walter's reaction to that, how he just takes it in. Yeah. He has to fathom the fact that, oh, wow, all this time and you're not going to take the picture. That's It's just so good. Yeah. And, and their dialogue back and forth. And you you mentioned the line in the first. It is really funny, though, when he tells me through the way the wall. And he's like, well, that just hurts my feelings. It's, it's, a, it's a sequence because before that, the other thing that uh, made me laugh really hard is when 
Sean Penn is explaining what he did, and and Ben Stiller goes like, "Why would you do that? What the hell is wrong with you?" <laughs> and he's like, "Well, I thought it was cute." <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard Sean Penn say "cute" in a yeah, movie. Yeah, and then he says, "I thought it'd be like a fun gesture or something." <laughs> yeah, that's a very underrated part of it too. There's a lot of really good comedy, be it dry or obvious gags. It's it doesn't really drag at any point. I mean, I'm trying to think of genuine things that I could say that I don't like about this, but well, I this this bothered me more the first time I watched it. And uh, I think that it took me a moment to get into the rhythm of the movie. Um, I think that uh, the first few, when I watched it the first time, the first few daydreams weren't quite doing it for me. Like I would, you know, they felt like interruptions that I didn't need because I was really into the real life of mm-hmm. Walter Mitty and what was happening in real life. And then whenever he'd have the 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 daydreams, I'd be like, I get it, but I'm more interested in the real world. And yeah. but then, like I said, in George Corner, I understand now. It's it's kind of a necessary evil. They're entertaining enough, and and it's kind of a necessary evil because you have to set up that pattern to break it later in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remember thinking, uh, well, and also just the way the movie's paced, it's like those are interspersed with just like his the monotony of his everyday life, and then when he starts doing more and more, the daydreams become less and less. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I remember that the the movie. It, it it was like a two part process when it grabbed me because and it happened again while we were watching it. it the the arcade fire sequence when he's running and gets on the plane. Awesome. It, that is when I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Now we're we're in business. <laughs> and then the the ground control to Major Tom scene. That's when I went from being into the movie to just saying, "Okay, this is a great movie. I hope it keeps it up." Because mm-hmm. I was not kidding. The train's corner. That shot of him jumping into the helicopter and just the 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 focus on on his face mm-hmm. and him just you can tell that he cannot believe that he just did that oh yeah and that just that that's gonna be the entire movie from then on so that's that really cool. shortly after is like the slapstick you know pratfall the funniest like in your face part of the movie when uh he has to jump from the helicopter to the boat, <laughs> to the boat. <laughs> but he doesn't see the actual like little boat he's supposed to jump on so he just jumps directly into the water yeah man just Great stuff, well paced. It is, it's not so sweet you're going to get a cavity from it, but it's just a movie that is a feel good movie, and sometimes there's not anything wrong with that. Yeah, uh, and it's it's funny, and it's I it, it like I said, you still you have to be open to it affecting you. It was yeah, and, we, and maybe that's the other thing, dude. You know, a Ben Stiller movie, uh, he's done so many different things that I could see a lot of people just going in expecting the other kind of Ben Stiller movie. The, like Meet the Parents or something? Right. Yeah. And then you were like, what the fuck is this saccharine shit? I don't need to know about <laughs> how beautiful life is or whatever. Um, Soundtrack's really good. Yeah, like for me, there's not really many levels this movie does not succeed on. Um, how do you feel about the, the ending? I, I don't remember if I thought about this the first time I watched it, but now I definitely because I knew how it ended. I remember mm-hmm. that he is the he is the the twenty fifth negative, and uh, I just I mean I guess what we're supposed to take is that his his dressing down of Adam Scott in front of everybody else in that board meeting made him change his mind enough that he wouldn't mind putting him on the cover, even though he just embarrassed him, he humiliated him in front of a bunch of people. Well, what I took away from that was in the beginning, they just didn't care what it was because Sean O'Connell told him to put him on that. Right. But but you're you're Adam Scott. You're in charge of this. And they tell you, okay, this is the picture. And you see that it's Ben Stiller who just basically 
called you an asshole in front of everybody and would have been great out. if it was the same picture with just adam scott's head photoshopped <laughs> over it <laughs> it's it's a minor thing because i don't know no, that it's I, worth calling out uh, yeah i mean i don't know if i buy that adam scott as douchey as he's been in the entire movie would be uh big enough to just say well fuck it this is what sean o'connell wanted so we're gonna run it mm-hmm. or that he would have said also Oh, you know, Walter Mitty was right, and it's about the people. So we're gonna, we're gonna, because he he doesn't even just run the photo. He also, I mean, somebody has to have come up with the the text that says something like "dedicated to the people that made this possible," or mm-hmm. the, right. So he's not just running the photo; he's addressing the fact that this is that Walter Mitty is a representative of the behind the scenes workforce. It's it seems too nice, too big of a gesture to come from a. Uh, the Adam Scott character, but I'll buy it because I love the movie. And yeah, to me, it more just the way I always read it was uh, Sean Penn's <laughs> thoughts overrided everything, or his wishes rather. Sean Penn called. It's like <laughs> this is what you put on it, and also uh, it kind of saves the moment for me because before it becomes too too sweet and too um, indulgent. They walk away, and she's like, should we buy that? And he's like, <laughs> yeah, I'll probably come back later. I just didn't want to seem uncool. <laughs> and the fact that that's the last line of the movie is really good. And then they hold hands, which I don't, I don't think that I remember that. Yeah, it's uh, the end of T3. They just hold hands and <laughs> prepare for it. And the life building just falls to pieces <laughs> behind them. Uh, yeah, it's it goes back to what we always say on here. If I wasn't invested in the movie and like if I was rolling my eyes at everything, I would probably loathe that ending. But I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I, the hundred and what fourteen minutes, hundred and twelve minutes that had led me up to that point on the fucking money. So I was fine with it. <laughs> I don't know, man. It, it, sometimes you need a movie like this. Um, that's not. I think too many people try to just separate movies into like adult movies and i don't mean fucking bella danger getting it but uh like adult oriented movies and then kids movies and only kids movies can be like these happy-go-lucky uh-huh. saccharines the word you use which is good sometimes you need movies that focus around adult themes but are still just kind of a joy to watch yeah it, it can you can be a crowd pleaser and still be a good movie and yeah, and with this one too, the message of it, like it's never too late for now type of thing. That's something I've been like struggling with a lot recently is just like, what am I doing with my life type of thing? So watching something like this, I'm like, fuck yeah, we're all Walter Mitty. Um, it's I'm going to go to Greenland. It's, a, <laughs> it's nowhere near as good a movie, but I had a similar experience watching uh, the Jim Carrey vehicle, Yes Man. Mm-hmm. Have you seen it? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, for one, it's way more over the top. It's, it's, you It's a Jim Carrey it's movie. It's a Jim Carrey movie. Yeah. So, of course, there's a lot of ridiculous stuff. But the underlying message of just, just say yes to life. I was at a point in my life when I watched that movie where I needed a push in that direction. And of course, I didn't go do any of the crazy things that, <laughs> that Jim Carrey does there or that uh, Ben Stiller does here. But there is something to be said for a movie reminding you that, well, you know, don't just watch a movie. Yeah. <laughs> go out and do something else. Go go put something on your travel journal or fill something out on your online profile. Yeah. Uh, it's it's good stuff. I I and I guess that that message can be a little trite depending on your mood. Yeah. So. And um, before I forget, I did remember the other good one-liner that Adam Scott had when I said he had no one-liners. Uh, when he is walking around looking for Ben Stiller and he goes, where's my quintessence? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and Ben Stiller too. He, he does his comedy in this is very un Ben Stiller. Right, he never gets mad. Ben Stillery. Yeah, and then the one line you and me popped huge for is when uh, Kristen Wiig goes to hold the elevator. He's like, "Are you coming?" <laughs> yes, I'm not. And then just like walks the other way. <laughs> but basically, to summarize it all and put it down into the terms of how me and Julio have thought of this afterwards before really negotiating or talking about how we're going to approach the podcast we both just reviewed our uh, lists from 2013 of our top movies <laughs> to see like where this would rank now so i didn't have it at i didn't all. have it in the top 10 proper but i'd probably reshuffle it yeah i didn't even have it in my honorable mentions and now i would definitely i'm sure it, it could make room in the i could make room in top 10 what did i say that i had that i wouldn't anymore uh um it was my number nine i don't remember what it was wasn't it much to do about nothing Yes. Yeah. No, I think that was an honorable mention. But yeah, I would definitely knock that off. And you had uh, Dallas Buyers Dallas, Club. <laughs> Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah. Then it was a different time. And then as we talked about, this has nothing to do with Walter Mitty. But going back, my top movie from that year would be Lewin Davis. Yeah, I had it at number five. But here nor there. That was Walter Mitty. If you couldn't tell, we fucking loved it. It was a long time in the making doing this on the podcast. So I'm glad we won both came away from the movie enjoying it probably more than previously and yeah what's your letter score a yeah i'm thinking four and a half stars to five stars i'm I'm gonna wrestle with that i guess on my drive home and <laughs> yeah and just decide then no it's definitely a hill to die on this this would be like i'm trying to think of another modern movie that's a hill that i die on t3 so this can, <laughs> Jesus. this can be up there pain and gain pain well do people hate pain again oh yeah i don't think it's uh I've never looked it up, but I got the the idea that just because it's a uh, Michael just Bay, because it's a Michael Bay movie, a that... divisive man. Uh, and again, I, I rewatched T uh, three within the past year, and my my hill I die on is much more with the ending. Oh, Pain and Gain is directly at fifty percent. Future gray area episode, I believe. Goddamn right, that movie fucking rules. But yeah, tremendous, tremendous movie. Glad we did it. So moving along to plugs now. Uh, our usual plugs, the festive years provide our opening and closing tracks, openings, um, last stand, closing summer of 99. Uh, we have our logo created by our buddy. Hans Rodgieser, uh, he has a podcast called Nación Combi. It's in Spanish. You should listen to it if you know Spanish or if you want to practice your Spanish. Uh, he also does logos. He does comics. Uh, you can contact him at Mil Demonios on Twitter, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, or you can email him, uh, at uh, mildemonios at hotmail.com and just tell him how much you love his podcast or how much you you love our logo. My boss thought it was Jiminy Cricket. And I was just like, well, it's it kind of that. It's, it's a tomato. It's, it's, it's a tomato. It's tomato critic, cricket. <laughs> Jiminy tomato. There you go. Uh, I don't have any plugs, Alex. I have a bunch of uh, uh, show-related stuff to mention, though. So if you have a plug, you can go first. I was trying to think about it this week. I don't really know if I have much to plug. It's been a lot of uh work has been a real motherfucker and uh, uh i did find out recently that mortal kombat 10 from like four years ago three or four years ago that they released leatherface as a playable character so i just discovered what? that yeah does he have a chainsaw yeah and it's three different wardrobes he has uh like leatherface in the original one from 74 please tell me there's one from the remake the 2003 remake <laughs> yeah yeah um and the intricacies of the character are great. So I found the game for really cheap, and it came with like all the unlockables, and it's like Leatherface, Jason, uh, a Xenomorph, and uh, Predator. What? And, and then, of course, like the whole cast of all the Mortal Kombat characters and stuff. But yeah, it's one of those games that made me realize how much 
older I am because I can only play it for a little bit because it's so violent. And you've seen those games before, you know, in terms of like guts pouring out and stuff like that. Oh, I love that. Oh, it, it's fun. But when you're doing it back to back, it's like, all right. I, with me, the problem is not the violence. The problem is I get my ass kicked. I, I don't have the patience I had when I was a kid mm-hmm. and I could just keep going at it until I made it through here i start getting frustrated a lot oh yeah more easily so so that was a a realization and it's not even really a plug it's just like (laughs) it was really cool i get to play as leatherface because i've never played the nintendo game apparently there was a nintendo game based on texas chainsaw massacre i played friday the 13th that sounds crazy oh i guess if friday 13th was a thing then yeah i i I played that one too but i didn't even know about the other one so no real plugs i'll Keep you all updated. And I'm trying to get start pick back up uh, Good Girls that show was on for a while. So, yeah, I uh, yeah I watched a few movies, but none of them were good. So, <laughs> uh, but that's fine. We have a uh, a few things. First off, I figure we we kind of talked about it before the show, but it was I think it's worth giving it a nod. Uh, Luke Perry passed yeah, away just really sad yesterday. I think it was, uh, which sucks. And we we playfully took jabs at uh, his portrayal of Pike in our Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode. It's a fish. Yeah. It's not a name. It's a fish. But anyway, that sucks. I I learned reading through the obituaries, though, that he was in, uh, is it Riverdale? Mm-hmm. I think it was a totally He right did there. voice work for a lot of things, too. Yeah. So I was, that's cool that he was like in something that was big recently. By all accounts, too, just seemed like a nice dude. Yeah. A lot of times, you know. They were quoting him, like, basically sounding like, he knew that, you know, when he hit it big, that it was like a big deal and tried to stay cool about it. Mm. Yeah, that's just really sad. His son, you know, is a pro wrestler. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, Jake Perry. He he goes by Jungle Boy. He's a young kid. Young kid. He doesn't go by Pike. That's yeah. a wasted opportunity. But, uh, yeah, one of the last shows you had, someone had a picture of Luke Perry there, like, cheering him on. So... Really, really sad. Yeah, we, we like relatively speaking, a young dude too. Fifty three, Jesus. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, but anyway, R.I.P. Luke Perry. Uh, we did not enjoy Buffy, but we we enjoyed your performance. Speak for yourself. <laughs> okay, half of us <laughs> did enjoy Buffy. <laughs> um, you know what? I watched a fair amount of nine hundred two one zero episodes. There you go. When I was young. And I always thought he was cool. So there you go. Uh, now on to uh, happier things. Okay, first off, let's get this out of the way, as we'll do every episode until the the big event, the live stream for the Cure third edition. They're they're toying with calling it a uh, uh, return of the live stream for the Cure. That is happening again this year, and the dates are Friday, May seventeenth. Saturday, May 18th, and Sunday, May 19th. And this is where we put in a promo for them. Justin, can you believe it's almost time? Time for what? The 2019 live stream for The Cure. This is our third year hosting this amazing event with every single cent going toward cancer research. The Cancer Research Institute funds research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. And this amazing nonprofit organization is rated over 92% by CharityNavigator.org and puts 88 cents of every dollar toward cancer research. Last year, thanks to an amazing team of collaborators, fans, supporters, and listeners, we raised over $5,000 in 30 hours on the air. And this year, with your help, we're going for our biggest goal yet. 
tune in May 17th to the 19th on twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys for 40 hours of amazing content as we try to reach $7,500. For more information or to find out how you can become a part of the event, please visit www.livestreamforthecure.com. Together, we can make a difference. So that will be the live stream for the Cure third edition. Uh, we will actually be part of it on Saturday, May eighteenth. Uh, we'll have a one hour slot from five p.m. to six p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will be doing our thing, our contrarian thing on a movie that we have determined, but we will not reveal until later on. Uh, but now we talked about this. I think we talked about this actually while we were recording uh, last time, but about doing a couple of rehearsals mm-hmm. because our show is never an hour. Mm-hmm. So that means that we have to shrink it. We have to uh, minimize it, sort of Tame like it. what we did on uh, the CAM episode. Also, there will be at least one more person with us. It'll be We'll have Nick, and we might even have Justin as part of it, which means that four people talking about this movie is going to eat up a lot of time. So I think that we have to kind of aim to do uh, 20 minutes of what we would do in 20 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. We'll probably balloon to 30 minutes with two more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 20 minutes, Contrarian Corner, 20 minutes, Real Talk, maybe moving stuff around. Maybe it will be like 30 minutes, Contrarian Corner, and 10 minutes, Real Talk. Uh, we'll see. But in order to get ready for that, I think we can do a couple of run-throughs with different movies. And uh, Alex and I were talking about it. We set our sights on, uh, for the fresh trial run, it'll be The African Queen, Mm-hmm. Which is at a hundred percent in Run Tomatoes. My God, it's a movie that's uh, it's a classic. It's also simple enough that I think we can we can try to hit our one hour goal mm-hmm. in that one. Uh, and then on the negative side, on the rotten side, we have uh, your suggestion, Alex. London. Uh, yes. With uh, who's in it? Jessica Biel. Is it uh, Chris Evans? Jessica Biel, Chris Evans, Jason Statham. Uh, it's at fourteen percent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's real bad. 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'll be a rotten. So the idea is that this will be bonus episodes. We'll call them something like uh, The Road to the Live Stream or something. And uh, and yeah, we're just going to... The gonna, Road to the Cure. Yeah, we're going to hit the, the ground running on these. And maybe even if we want to challenge ourselves even more, these are some uh, episodes where we won't even edit because the idea is that when we're on the live stream, we're not going to be able to cut anything out. So yeah. we kind of have to get in the mindset of like, maybe we don't make this one joke that usually we laugh about and then we cut it <laughs> before posting the episode so uh that should be exciting we'll uh gotta pick our spots yes we will uh we will let you know once we have those fully scheduled but that's that's part of the plan right now now uh finally i wanted to mention that uh i i briefly mentioned life itself earlier because talk about earnest movies you, you haven't seen it I but that not. is uh i, I mean I that, you have it's a magnified uh experience compared to Walter Mitty, I mean, as far as earnestness and just how how badly you could react to this to that movie if you went with a cynical mindset. And that that movie does not have the the star power of Ben Stiller <laughs> to to help it. So but anyway, it's a movie I love. Not many people do. Is it Oscar Isaac in it? Yes. Okay. For part of it. So it's somebody that I'm friends with uh, on on Letterboxd and on Facebook. Just I I saw that he'd like the movie. He liked Life Itself. And I commented on it. I said, hey, welcome to the club. And he's like, oh, you like it too? You should come onto my podcast and we'll talk about it. So I looked up his podcast and it's called uh, Guilty Pleasures. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was like, sure, let's do it. So uh, next Saturday, I'm recording with him. Awesome. Uh, his name is Joe. And... Uh, I guess we're talking about life itself after we watch it and hope that it's as good as uh, 
I, I remember. Uh, but anyway, we're doing that. But the main thing here is that you're kind of off the hook, at least for the time being, because if I'm recording a Life Itself episode with Joe and his uh, Guilty Pleasures podcast, and that means I don't have to record one for our show, at yeah. least not right away. I think that I, I would repeat myself. You could potentially wait. When did that movie come out? That was last year. And it's like at 11%, I think, on Rotten Tomatoes. What's it called? Life Itself. Life Itself. I knew it was something fucking corny. Not to be confused with the Roger Ebert love document. Itself. Yeah. Yeah. 13%. My God. Ah, it's going up too. <laughs> uh yep this looks like a chore <laughs> maybe we won't do an episode on it but you still watch it just and it's narrated by samuel L. jackson fascinating uh, only the opening yeah all right we're back on our uh continuing on winding down as it were award season on our award season arc and we are going back to the razzies for the next episode episode 81 will be hudson hawk Bruce Willis makes his triumphant return to the Contrarians. Our last, uh, our last Razzies, and then our last Oscars movie. Well, not quite. Our last official Oscars movie would be Birdman. Mm-hmm. And then we we've kind of hinted at it previously, but yeah, we're we're trying to work it so that the return of Eddie Straight also coincides with the the grand bonus finale of this award season, uh, where we'll do Green Book. And honestly, I've been wavering in my resolve to do a Green Book episode just because. After the Oscars, everybody and their mother did a Green Book episode. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that the fact that uh, Eddie hates it and I don't, and then that we don't know how you're going to react to it, I, I think that adds... All the cards the, are in my hand. Yeah. It, it, I, I, And, you know, our gimmick itself, I think it lends itself to a, a episode that hopefully will not be a retread of everything everybody else has already said about the movie. Yeah. I think we could offer a fresh take. So that'll be interesting. But... That's a little ways down the road uh, for the immediate future. Our next episode will be Hudson Hawk, which I'm quite excited about. I haven't seen it. If you're coming to Austin for South by Southwest, uh, good luck. (laughs) Please don't litter. Please don't move here. Um, Deal with the traffic. Yeah, Carpool. Yeah, I'm avoiding it at all costs. So if you see me that week, I'm going to be in a bad mood. (laughs) I work downtown, so I have to deal with all that shit. Anyway. We appreciate it as always. Y'all tuning in here to The Contrarians, where we're right, you're wrong, and we will catch you next time for Hudson Hawk. I hope.